Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective, featuring the friars from St. Patrick Church in Columbus. And now, Dominican Dimensions. Welcome to the Dominican Dimensions, a half-hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish here in Columbus. Today I'm joined in the studio by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's begin with a prayer to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're going to talk about liturgy and life. Um, this is a chapter, the first chapter in a book by um, Pope Benedict XVI, who at the time was Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, uh, in a book called The Spirit of the Liturgy. It's, it's a classic book about, um, mainly about the liturgy, especially the Mass. Um, but he opens up uh, his book uh, with a chapter about um, what is the liturgy? Uh, what is um, worship? Um, and he and he begins by uh, pointing out that uh, it's something more than just sort of a flight um, outside of the world. Uh, there are some who suggested uh, that maybe liturgy is a kind of play. We could use the metaphor of play, um, something that has its own rules, it sets up its own world, um, and when you're in that mode, you're sort of suspending um, the rules of the regular world. Uh, but he points out that there's, well, that that um, metaphor has uh, certainly some traction in what liturgy is. It it it's far from the actual, the deeper meaning of liturgy. Right. Uh, one of the things I I thought, uh, well, one of the things, of course, that you both of you and I have experienced in the course of theological studies, is the tendency in for some courses of theology to work from below to above, right? It starts with studying religion, say, as a natural phenomena, in mm-hmm. which case, you know, you would try to divine, define liturgy on a natural term. So, uh, you know, the pagan Egyptians have liturgies, the Romans have liturgies, the Jews have liturgies, you know, Islam has liturgies, even even secular and communist and atheist governments have liturgies. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've ever seen, you know, May Day in the Kremlin, you know, on May 1st, uh, with the great parades going forth, there is a certain liturgy and pattern sure. yeah. uh, of play, you know, showing off the the showing off the rockets they, they, as well as we hope they never use, you know. Right. But, um, but I think it, uh, the, but Father, uh, but uh, the Pope moves in the other direction. And I think that's more reliable mm-hmm. to start from the top down. What does this, especially for believers, what does the scripture say that worship is? Right. How is it, how does it arise? How is it constituted? I mean, the first example of worship in the scriptures, of liturgy in the scriptures, is a disaster. You know, when Cain and Abel come to offer without being asked, without mm-hmm. being asked, they offer a liturgy. One is accepted, one's not. It's mm-hmm. dangerous to approach the living God. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Cardinal uh, Cardinal Ratzinger 
later, you know, Benedict the Sixteenth uh, talks about the 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 Sinai is in fact the place where we really do find God beginning to define what He wants liturgy to be and what worship should be. Sinai meaning uh, that in the Book of Exodus, when the liturgy, when the uh, uh, Hebrews were um, were told that they would be set free from right. slavery in Egypt, uh, they were um, to go out into the desert. Right. And it was eventually on top of Mount Sinai that God gave them his covenant in the form of the Ten Commandments. That's and right. also uh, instructions, detailed instructions about right. how to worship him. But as the Pope points out in the book, you know what you find here is this exactly worship is the reason hmm. that they go out. It's not right. really, although the the promise of the promised land and the all the fulfillment of the promises is there, the actual reason that they find themselves summoned out and the reason that Moses gives to Pharaoh is to worship. To worship God in the wilderness. To worship God in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. That this is what God wants. And he says, uh, and Pharaoh says, that's fine, uh, let the men go. And no, no, you don't understand. The women and children have to come too. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if I'm happy about that, you know. Uh, eventually he relents on that, but says, your livestock and herds have to remain here. You know, it's their wealth. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, that's not going to work because we don't know what we are to offer God until we get there. So mm-hmm. we just can't take some things with us. We have to take everything with us. Mm. So we know what God will want when we actually come to worship him in the desert. And of course, this, you know, becomes the... Uh, so so the shape of this is uh, we're going to worship, and that is the the that is the heart of what the the uh, what the Pope suggests that liturgy is, that worship is, and ultimately what the mass is. Right, yeah. right, and he, he points out too that um, they worship God even before they get to the promised right. land. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it's in the desert. That in the wilderness, a place that is not their own, uh, that they begin to understand in detail, you know, what it means to worship God, uh, what it means to to offer to him uh, our time, our praise, you know, mm-hmm. our goods. Uh, and and so that, in a sense, it's it's in the wilderness that they learn to worship God. So, so that the worship is not um, completely and... Uh, uniquely connected to a specific geographical place. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It does become connected in the Jewish temple later on, but but it's even before they have a temple that God teaches them how to and worship. And first incarnation of the temple, of course, is the portable tent of meeting. Right, the tabernacle. It's, the you know, for nomadic people, we have a God who is transportable, mm-hmm. you know, or rather who shapes, because remember, the people are led by the pillar of fire and cloud that comes down and stands at the entrance to the meeting when it's time for worship and so forth, that uh, that it is, so worship is to come into the presence of the living God. Right. And this is the heart of it. This is what real worship is. Mm-hmm. This is what real liturgy is. It's it's to find a way to come into the presence of the living God. So right. I, I, was, I was reflecting on this, and even if you look at the four ends of prayer, which we're commonly taught, adoration, contrition, uh, petition, and thanksgiving, the first thing is always adoration. 
Hmm. You know, and adoration meaning it, as simple as I, you are God, I am not. Right. You are God, I am not, which is a mouthful because, you know, that is the death of pride. Mm-hmm. Pride says, I make the rules, you don't. Even you, God. Mm-hmm. I make the rules. And my will is my first idol. Right. Whereas adoration begins by putting yourself in the presence of the living God, confessing who he is and who you are not. That leads to, of course, the contrition, where we accuse ourselves of our authentic sins and prepare ourselves to make our petitions and then to trusting in the Lord make our thanksgiving. So this is the whole pattern of the prayer. Mm-hmm. But in, in the in what the other another point the that the Pope makes is I think this is a very important one, is that worship constitute is an integral part of our healthy humanity. Mm. That if you are not if you do not worship, you are less the human you could be that you are called to be that you're made to be. Right. Okay, because an authentic anthropology, a lived anthropology of the human being, of necessity turns to God because Mm -hmm. we have that spiritual side. We have to be realists, and he mentions this. He says, if you don't worship God, you know, you're really, you're not dealing with reality if you refuse worship. Yeah, and and he also points out that that worship is, it's not just something we do uh, in the middle of a specific liturgy. You know, worship mm-hmm. is is really the center of our whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, and so God on Sinai um, makes a covenant with his people, a covenant that does not only involve how to worship, but also involves how to live. Right. A rule of life, a moral, a moral, moral guidepost, the Ten Commandments, you know, by which they would, they would live. And by, by the way, their, their whole society, everything was really um, connected to this covenant, this relationship with mm-hmm. God, where they encountered him on the mountain. But the primary encounter is one of adoration and worship. Right. And all the rest follows. Mm-hmm. So it's not that, oh my heavens, here's this cool set of ethical guidelines right. that God gave. You know, it might be a good idea to follow them. You know, this is actually not a healthy humanity because we're still in charge of our, we're still becoming dictators of our moral life. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the the horrible situation of the atheist. You know, who ultimately stands into an abyss where nothing anymore makes sense, where it's hard to tell good from evil, where everything can be argued sufficiently with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way or the other to the place where you would prefer to be in the first place. And one never learns Whenever and you look into this abyss where, where, you know, murder is, you know, considered an ethical option for one thing or another, mm-hmm. whether it's, uh, you know, or where where, uh, where, where you no longer are connected with the primeval good, no longer have an authoritative source for an anthropology outside yourself. But only you know construct it as you will, and if you if you only take the commandments as an ethical as a your ethical choice, you're still in charge, and you are you are no longer before the Lord, you are no longer living a worshipful life, a life which has adoration in it that adoration is the Pope says is always first, mm-hmm. 
and then everything else can follow from it. But it's but a connection of worship with God is is constitutive of a healthy anthropology, which is to be lived. You're listening to the Dominican Dimensions, a half hour of lively discussion about Catholic issues from a Dominican perspective. My name is Father Stephen yeah. Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I'm joined in the studio today by my confrere, Father Stephen Dominic Hayes, and we've been discussing liturgy and life. Um, the first chapter of the book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, by Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, who later became Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. We've been discussing about how um, <clears throat> worship always begins with adoration. You know that we say uh, in our prayer, you know, you know, Lord, you are God, and I am not. You know, I am yours, uh, and that. Worship is not something that simply pulls us out of reality for a little while, kind of a form only of play, but it's, it's a way, it's the whole, um, it's, it's an essential part of our humanity. And when we start from who God is, when we start from his reality in himself, we might say theology from above, then the rest of our life follows. Um, our, our, our path of, 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 of moral life uh, which was given, for example, to the uh, Hebrews in the Ten Commandments and a covenant that follows our law by which we live, by which our society is sewn together, is part of that. Um, and it's not something that is is arbitrary. It's not something that we can invent or that we have to invent. Father Hayes, you were just talking about how for someone who's an atheist, they do have that terrible burden of sort of inventing, you know, in the short period of their own lifetime you know, what What they decide is, you know, that that ultimate rule of, of, of life. Right. So that, strictly speaking, that, if you if you can't decide what morality is, then then George Washington is no different from Hitler. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh that it's hard to tell the difference between uh to call feeding a child good but ki- but eating a child bad. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, it, Rather, um, the, this vision of the human being constituted, you know, in a full anthropology by being worshipful before God, which is something not for just for the moment of liturgy, but for the whole life. This is, in fact, constituency, constituent of the, of the healthy humanity. And you see this, a real cohesion in all this in the history of Israel. So, for instance, we, we talked about you now the promise of land that gives given, given to Abraham. And it might be said that this more than worship, the argument is given in the book by the Pope from the opposition. Well, well, it's really, no, no, the history of Israel is really about possession of the land. But but the the thing is, human beings need a space in which to live mm-hmm. because we are material bodies. Right. So maybe better than saying the promise of the land because we're talking about you know, Haaretz, um, you know, the, the land, or Adama, uh, the dirt, um, what is actually being promised is a dominion, mm-hmm. a makut, you know, the, a, a kingship, a lordship, which is, first of all, of course, the Lord tries to let the people let him be lord. And, of course, this doesn't work. This is all the story of the period of Judges once we get into Israel. You know, and they keep rebelling against the Lord. They keep refusing to treat him as God. Again, the, 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 it's idolatry. That's a, the sin of Israel again and again and again. And what's really at stake, of course, is doing what you want. 
you know, right. not submitting yourself to the lordship of the Lord. And I, I think, think the the um, the most awful judgment of this is the last line of the book of Judges where it says, and so um, each person did as they saw fit. You know, it's mm-hmm. those this people who is called to be obedient to the Lord is no longer being ruled by him in the slightest. Right. And uh, and uh, Cardinal Ratzinger in his, in his book speaks about an example of how our worship is not arbitrary, you know, going back to the Exodus um, mm-hmm. uh, pilgrimage of the, of the chosen people, uh, the episode of the golden calf. Yes, right, that, with Aaron. Um, they got impatient by waiting for God. Because um, he wouldn't show up on command. He wouldn't show up on command. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they, they wanted to uh, get on with something that was more comfortable. Controllable. Controllable. So they had Aaron fashion a golden calf. And mm-hmm. then they, they, they said, well, this is, this is the God who's delivered you from Israel. You know, mm-hmm. and so, so it's, from Egypt. Right? From Egypt. From Egypt. And so, yeah. but it was, you know, it was, it was arbitrary. And that's, that's always a temptation to think that worship is kind of whatever you want it to be, you know, whatever, whatever kind of floats your boat. Uh, but it isn't at all. You know, worship is, 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 is a path that leads to the truth, you know, that you leads know, to con- God. And calls for a constant act to be a renewed obedience, mm-hmm. renewed service, new adoration. You are God, I am not. Right. You know, you are just, O Lord, I am not. Mm-hmm. You know, as, um, as our Lord said to St. Catherine of Siena in, in uh, one of her visions, you know, I am the one who is, you are the one who is not, but for me. Right. You know? And to really know that and live that. So when uh, another thing about this, which is not in this first chapter, but I think uh, uh, relevant here, is you know one of the things that Moses was asked to do was to shape the worship of Israel according to the pattern of things that he saw on the mountain right. in visions. So he went up into the presence of God and there saw a pattern of relationship and life. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. brings it down. So this is in the commandments of the law. It's in the liturgy of the temple. There's a physical representation of the pattern on the mountain in the Ark of the Covenant mm-hmm. and the dwelling, the mm-hmm. tent, of do- uh, t- tent of meeting, the dwelling, <clears throat> which eventually, of course, gets transformed, double-sized, <clears throat> as the temple in Jerusalem in David's in uh, Solomon's time. Right. Uh, but, but this uh, pattern of worship, of course, is something that is... God's own. Notice he is giving them a form of worship, not which the people choose, a la the mm-hmm. Rome calf, but precisely which God gives them. Right. They are to worship him, not in their way, but in his way. Again, I'm Lord, you are not. Right. And, and I think we find this coming even in the present pattern of things, you know, our present worship as all the signs of the Old Testament are poured into the life of the church in the New Testament. What was in history and and uh, physicality in the Old Testament is poured out into sacrament and spirit in the New Testament. So, so that the kingdom, which was a physical dimension, it was a place with borders in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. was a place with a capital and eventually a king, um, now is translated into the, the city of the New Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You know, and this notion. So it's a common. It's a, it's 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 a 
it's an individual relationship, but it's also a family relationship, the family of Israel. That's been those who are the family of Jesus Christ, born into his life by baptism. There is the uh, the structure of a kingdom, which is not of this world, as Jesus says. You know, although she passes through it, she can spawn civilizations, as she has in 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 the in in this world. But uh, but her purpose is beyond this world. This right. is a kingship beyond it. Although we pass, we're we're living and passing through it now. It is about a city, you know, a community, the New Jerusalem, uh, and all these things, of course, have their form in the old pattern, and they have it in the new. Even the mass itself, I've seen. Uh, sensibly portrayed in some catechetical materials as a something we pass through as if we were going into the Temple of Jerusalem of old. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of interesting that the Temple of Jerusalem actually had a place for people who rejected God or mm-hmm. <laughs> did not right. worship God or worship idols the, right. because we had the court of the Gentiles, which was the biggest court of them all. Mm-hmm. You know, and then as you come in, the, you know, to the... St- concentric circles of participation, you find a deeper participation. So you have the court of Israel, you have the court of the priests, you have the great outdoor altar of sacrifice with the flames going up, with the mm-hmm. blood sacrifices. You have the the um, holy of holies, where the, the morning and evening incense sacrifices go up, where only the priests enter, mm-hmm. and then the holy of holies, which contains the ark itself, where only the high priest enters once a year, to pronounce the holy name and sprinkle blood in the direction mm. of the ark. Right. Uh, meanwhile, you know things like the the bread, the showbread, you know the 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 bread of the of the face comes forth to the people to to allow them to participate presently in the life of what goes on in the sanctuary. Yeah, which is, and you can make connections to all this to what we do in the mass, where right. the bread of heaven is placed before us, where we come before the face of Christ, where we uh, find ourselves gradually brought into the church, the sacraments of initiation, where we, like the priests who bathed in the great, you know, the bronze sea, it was called, you know, uh, before they, before putting in their white linen robes to minister. <laughs> right. Um, you know, we are washed in baptism. The robe is received, and we minister all the baptized as God's priest in many of many different ways, as the various divisions of the of the sons of Levi were placed. So, what are some ways in which, in, in the new covenant, you know, we, at Sinai was the the covenant, and and Mo, you know, mm-hmm. through Moses, with Christ in the new covenant mm-hmm. of His body and blood, you know, how do we see um, worship, you know, connected with that first covenant, but also deepened? Well, or, I think one thing is to realize that adoration is not something we just do in church. Mm-hmm. That it is something that is integral to the whole of life. That mm-hmm. is, that um, I remember seeing an interesting set of Irish Gaelic prayers, which were for the times uh, like in the 19th century. And what they were is prayers for each step of the journey as you went to church. There was a prayer for going out your front door. Hmm. There's a prayer for being on the road. There's a prayer for coming, the, seeing the first view of the church. You know, there's a prayer for passing within the church door. Or dipping your fingers in the holy water. Each step of this Sunday journey was a moment of adoration, mm-hmm. and I think maybe I, maybe we're so less contemplative in our busy industrial age, you know, yeah. gasoline-powered age, that 
we don't take time to actually see all these moments to actually put ourselves in the presence of God and renew our act of adoration. Mm. I know uh, walking through Ireland once, I I had this. I was walking up to Russell 25 miles to do Patrick's Purgatory once, and I was just amazed at all the moments I was given for contemplation, for enjoying the, the breaking of the day, the, the changing of the light that I couldn't have had if I'd simply taken the bus like most of the other pilgrims. Mm, right. Right, so the liturgy does become, you know, your whole life. I mean, not, yeah. not, it's not, you know, worship as being the center of your life doesn't mean you spend all your life in church. Right. You know, but, but that your whole life has, has God and adoration. And it prepares you for the moment when you do come to find the living God in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, so it's, it's I, and I think maybe that's at the heart of a deeper Mass, is to always come expecting the Lord to say something to you, to do something in you, whether you realize it immediately or not, but to come expecting mm-hmm. a con- encounter with the God who spoke to Moses on Sinai, mm-hmm. to the God who spoke in Jesus Christ, to uh, the power of the Holy Spirit who descended upon the apostles in Pentecost when they were together to adore and to praise and to petition mm-hmm. and to sh- break the bread and share the cup. Right. Right, and just as uh, God revealed to Moses the pattern in, yes. in heaven of mm-hmm. the father worship, so, so uh, Christ revealed in, at the Last Supper, you know, the pattern of how, how to worship God That's in the right. New Covenant. That's right. Um, it wasn't anything arbitrary. It was something that was rooted in the Passover, but it was something that was specific. To worship God in his way. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the way we expect. You know, right? We probably, you know, we probably have, you know, chariot. I mean, you think of Roman triumphal liturgies, or you know, communist, you know, big celebrations, mm-hmm. you know, troops marching, you know, banners waving, you know. Mm-hmm. Not that we have. I haven't ever seen masses like that. Don't get me started. <laughs> but uh, but basically, to worship God in this way, this pattern, which makes present, you know heaven and on earth mm. and opens the doors to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of power who has saved us. Thank you for joining us today for the Dominican Dimensions. My name is Father Stephen Alcott, and I'm a friar at St. Patrick Parish in Columbus. I've been joined in the studio today by Father Stephen Dominic Hayes. Let's end now on our prayer to St. Dominic. O light, light of the, of the church, church, teacher of truth, rose of patience, ivory of chastity, Freely you have poured forth the waters of wisdom. Preacher of grace, unite us to the blessed. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dominican Dimensions is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Dominican Dimensions and all of our locally produced programs are available at stgabrielradio.com. Veni,